so I asked uh, Josh if he would sing Oceans Where Feet May Fail. So how many of you know this song? You, you, you're familiar with this song? I love, I love this song. Actually, um, Taz is the one that brought it to my attention a couple of years ago. I asked Taz, I said, well, what song would you like for us to play for your baptism? And he introduced me to this song. I was unaware of it, and I've loved it ever since. Part of the title of this song is actually going to be used as the subtitle for an exciting new book that's coming out in June. Um, so, yeah, I'll let you know when it comes out so you'll know. It's written by, one of the, it's written by a pastor of one of the smallest churches in the world. And uh, so, um, yeah, we're hoping to sell ten copies. We'll see what happens. It's in the Lord's hands. But the author is so shrewd, he's not only using part of the title um, as a subtitle of the book, he, he got Hillsong to give permission to reprint the whole book, or pardon me, the whole song, all of the lyrics, at the beginning of the book. And, you know, if you understand this song, then you'll understand what the book is about. Um, I don't know how familiar you are with it. This book, as is the song Oceans, it's about living our faith huge. And I know I sound like a broken record. I know I talk to you about this all the time, but you know why I talk to you about this all the time. Because you're a vapor upon the earth. You are a vapor upon the earth. As compared to eternity, you have mere moments on this planet to obey the Lord, to make much of Jesus, um, to radically love Him and follow Him and obey Him. And I mean, if our God is God, why shouldn't we, right? If our God really is God, why would we ever shrink back from anything He's called us to do? It, I think our words don't match our deeds uh, quite often in the New Testament or in, in the, the, the modern church, I'll say. Um, if we really believe He is who He says He is, if we really believe He is who I say He is, who you say He is, or you probably wouldn't be sitting in this room, if we really believe He can do what He says He can do, why would we not live it absolutely full out, all in, every single day? Why wouldn't we? I'm not sure if our deeds are matching our words in this regard. It's always Hebrews 11.6. It's never not Hebrews 11.6. God says, you must believe I am and you must believe I'm good. I've known a lot of people who believe He is and there's only a handful that really believe He's good because you can see it in their life. If they believe both things, you know, there's, most people on the planet are theists. They believe that He is they believe that there's, there's some God out there, at least. But very few believe He's good. And you can tell if someone believes He's good because they're doing oceans. <laughs> they're doing big faith. Jesus says, God says in Hebrews 11.6, I am and I'm a rewarder. I'm not convinced that a lot of people who profess to be Christians actually believe He's a rewarder. 
If we believe He's a rewarder, we'll, we'll live our lives far differently than if we don't. And that's why I love the song, Oceans. I think that's part of what the song is about. Again, um, I think in many places, you, you hear me say this a lot, in many places Christianity has been domesticated. You know what the word domesticated means? Or we could use, the, we could use C.S. Lewis's word. He, he calls it moderated. Right? It's just $3 worth of God, right? Give me $3 worth of God on Sunday morning. That's all I need. That's really all I want. And I'll go about living my life till next Sunday when it's time for me to show up for church again. And then I just want $3 worth of God. I don't want anybody to push me around. I don't want anybody to challenge me. I just want to live my Christian life the way I want to live it. Doesn't necessarily mean I'm following Jesus doesn't necessarily mean I'm radically giving myself away to Christ. But I call myself a good little Christian, right? <laughs> I know that if you've been in the church very long, you've seen, and I mean the, the church universal, not simply this one, you uh, understand what I'm talking about. Sadly, unlike what we see on the pages of Scripture, many who call themselves Christians today, they forego nothing, they venture nothing, they risk nothing, and they sacrifice nothing. You can't find, oops, you can't find that kind of Christianity in here. You can't find it in here. It does not exist in here. Much of what is called biblical Christianity in this era is biblically unrecognizable. Nobody, or let me say it this way, very few, seemingly, understand the song Oceans. And they're willing to give themselves away to Christ. Whatever it looks like, Lord, you know, we don't dictate to Him, right? He dictates to us. You follow Me, He says. You follow Me. You come do what I designed you to do, what I redeemed you to do. You come do it. What we find out is when we actually go do what He tells us to do, we find out who we are. That's part of the, the point of, of the book. We actually discover who we are when we give ourselves away to Jesus. So if we don't give ourselves away to Christ in a radical way, we lose, right? We lose. I know you hear me say that a lot. But we're the ones that lose. The song Oceans makes no sense to the $3 worth of God. Christian who walks exclusively by sight, exclusively by the wisdom of the world, their life is structured in such a way that they can simply roll out of bed and do it all by themselves. Don't really need God to live this life. It's not materially different from the life that the rest of the world is living. Most who profess to be Christians today? They've never considered getting out of the boat, getting out of the little comfort zone they're in, right? That's what the whole story's about with Peter. <laughs> and the beautiful thing about Peter is he wanted out of the boat, right? It, Jesus didn't initiate that conversation. Peter initiated that conversation. Peter said, if that's you, Lord, bid me come. I know I bring this up all the time. But I'm going to ask you, what is your desire? 
What is your heart's desire? What is it at the very core, at the very bottom? Is it to give yourself away to Christ? Or is it to, to pretty much live like the world and have $3 worth of religion on Sunday? Beloved, I push you around all the time and I tell you this because I love you. I don't know when the last time I'll preach to some of you is and I don't want you to ever forget it. I hope it rings in your ears every day till you die that you would radically give yourself to Christ, that you would obey Him with glad, reckless joy. That's what the song Oceans sings. That's what I hear. <laughs> That's what I hear in that song. And uh, I do love it so. Uh, it's the oceans thing. The pastor of this book that's coming out in June, he writes this in the foreword. I want you to know that I wrote this book with the specific intent of lovingly destroying your present way of life if you call yourself a Christian and you're living your Christianity in some small, sheepish, cautious way. If you call yourself a Christian and at present you're more interested in your status and your ambition and your conformity and your fashion and your security and your comfort and your ease than you are and obeying Him. If you call yourself a Christian and your affections for Christ are currently tepid and your Christianity is little more than simply attending church, if you call yourself a Christian and you are presently investing more in houses and lands and possessions and leisure and entertainment and portfolios than you are in the kingdom of God, I want to lovingly destroy your life if you call yourself a Christian and in actuality you can't remember the last time you took a genuine risk for Jesus. I want to lovingly destroy your life if you call yourself a Christian, and really, your Christianity is more about you than it is about Him. I think you know domestic, domesticated Christianity is no Christianity at all. In fact, it's kind of a blasphemous thing to call yourself a Christian and then you know, live like the world. It just makes Jesus look bad in the eyes of the world. It blasphemes Christ in the eyes of the world. So how can you not love these lyrics? I'm just going to repeat a couple of them from, from, from Oceans for you. Your grace abounds in deepest waters. What's he saying? His grace is out there. It's, out, it's not in here. It's not in the box where you live. The deep grace, the intimate grace, the awesome grace, the worship-provoking grace, it's out there. You've got to get out of the box by faith and obey the Lord. I love this. Your grace abounds in the deepest water. Your sovereign hand will be my guide. I can get out of the box. I can. Because my God is sovereign, right? He's a sovereign God. He holds me. I can go to Mozambique or anywhere else I want to go. Right, Corn? <laughs> my feet may fail but, and the fear may surround me, but you have never failed. Lord, You have never failed. You will never fail. I can get out of my box. I can obey the Lord with glad, reckless joy because He's an awesome God. He never fails. Hillsong continues, The Spirit leads me where... I love this. This could have been the subtitle. The Spirit leads me where my trust is without borders. Don't you love that line? Let me ask you. I'll just stop and ask. Is your trust without borders? 
or do you have parameters on, on how far you'll go with God and how much you believe God? Don't you love that line? Do you have trust without borders? Have you blown, uh, have you blown up your little box? <laughs> have you blown up your little box? I love that. I love that. So we know, don't we? We know. We know if we've allowed caution to trump obedience. We know, don't we? We know if we've been living our faith small. We know if we've compromised. We know. We know it down in our hearts. We know if we've loved ourselves, our families, our ambitions, and our things more than we have loved Him. We know if we have treasured our own way of life more than we have treasured the narrow way. And as I tell you repeatedly, it's not only wrong to live like that, it's your great loss to live like that. Beloved, every breath you draw is a stewardship. It is a stewardship. It is a gift from God. He means for you to invest that breath Remember what he told the guys? I think we, I can't remember if it was the guys with the talents or the guys with the minutes, but you remember what he said? He said, you go do business with what I've given you. You go do business. The Master said, go do business. So I'm going to ask you tonight, are you doing business with every breath? With your talents and your skills, your abilities, your resources? Are you doing business? Are you all in or are you just dabbling? <laughs> Are you all in? Are you doing business? The dictionary says that faith is a noun, but you and I know as Bible believers, um, it's not simply something we have. What is it? You tell me. It's something we live. Every day. It's what oceans is about. It's what it's about. Trust without borders. It's not only believing that God is, it's believing that God is good. It's believing that He is who He says He is and He can do what He says He can do. Again, if we believe that, I'm not sure why any of us would ever hesitate. <laughs> I'm not sure why we wouldn't be praying this every day as Peter said, Lord, if that's You, command me come. Lord, if that's what You want me to do, command me come. If I need to speak with this person, Lord, command me, come. Bid me come. I'll never be afraid again. I'll never be intimidated again. What can man do to me? What can mere man do to me? As the psalmist says. Beloved, I just fear, and I'm owning this for myself, I just fear that we're letting so much time slip through our hands and we're just getting through the day. We're just living the day. And yes, we have to live the day, but we need to seize the day. We need to seize the day. We need to invest the day. You know what the Bible says? You remember what God said to Abraham? Is anything too hard for me? You remember what he told Moses? Is my power limited? You remember what Jesus told the disciples? With God, everything's possible, so what are you waiting for? Either you really don't believe it, and I'm preaching to myself. <laughs> Either we really don't believe it, 
or we just don't care. I don't know. Which is worse? So, that brings me to Matthew 14. And one thing I want you to notice in this text, the impossible is always in jeopardy when Jesus is around. Amen? <laughs> the impossible is always at risk. <laughs> when King Jesus is around. So, we know that the, the Lord is involved in a lot of miracles here in this chapter and in the parallel accounts of this um, story in the other Gospels. But we here see here in verse 14 of Matthew 14, He's healing the sick. He's supernaturally healing the sick. And if you go over to John 6 and you see this great account where it's, it's repeated, it's the same account, but Jesus, He actually turns to Philip and He says, where are we going to get the bread to, to feed all these people? And do you remember what Philip said? Philip said, well, it's going to cost a lot of money. It's going to cost 200 denarii to feed these people. And do you remember what Jesus said? Well, I didn't ask you how much it was going to cost. Where are you going to get it? Where are we going to get it? Now, what's the answer? What was the answer? What was Philip supposed to say? You are the answer. Listen, every time you face the impossible, I don't care what the context is, every time you face the impossible, Jesus Christ is the answer. He's always the answer. He says, where are we going to get the... The, the, the food to, to, to feed these people. And Philip's on his calculator, right? It's just like, I'm an accountant, man. I was a CPA in, in a former life, so I get this. It's my first instinct. Grab my calculator. That's not what God said. And of course, Andrew has this little kid. He found this little kid. He's got five loaves and two fish, right? But Andrew says, what's that? That's nothing. <laughs> You know, Philip says it's impossible. It will take too much. Andrew says it's impossible. We have too little. What does Jesus say? Have them sit down. (laughs) The impossible is nothing. You know that, right? The impossible is nothing to our God. The impossible is nothing. You say, Jim, I can't do this thing that I know God's calling me to do and I have to ask you why. If God is commanding it, if God is asking you to do it, You can do it because He will do it. Do you understand? All you have to do is show up. If you'll just show up, God will do the rest. Read the Bible. God always does what He intends to do through His people who will show up in faith. That's all it takes, beloved. That's all it takes is for you and I to show up. That's 98% of Christianity. You show up in obedience, in faith. God will make much of Himself. God will convert the lost. God will make Jesus famous in that context. So how many men did He feed? He fed 5,000. We understand. Probably, you know, I've seen estimates up to 25,000 considering women and children. Who knows? We don't really know. Uh, probably ten to 15,000 people are fed here. So the impossible bows to the will of Jesus. The impossible is always the servant of Jesus. Jesus does what He pleases with the impossible. So I want to challenge you, next time you face the impossible, just remember who you need to call upon. You're not in this impossible situation because of bad luck. You understand that, right? This is not just bad karma. This is not just 
unfortunate circumstance. If you're in a hard place, your sovereign God has brought you there and He means to teach you something about Himself there. You're not supposed to be surprised you're in the hard place. You're supposed, to be, you're supposed to be ready to be in the hard place and you're supposed to pray Peter's prayer, Lord Jesus, bid me come. This is what biblically literate Christians do in the hard place. We realize this is no accident. This is not simply bad luck. God has brought me here. You know this, right, beloved? You're, you're, you're supposed to know this. You're supposed to know God's brought you here. What is He going to do tonight? He's going to send His men into the storm. Well, does, does Jesus not realize there's a storm coming? Does He not know? Is God ignorant of the storm? Do you think that's it? He's going to send them into the storm. He puts them in a boat and He sends them into the storm. What's He doing? He's getting ready to disclose Himself in a brand new way. That's what the storm is always about, beloved. Jesus is going to disclose Himself to you in a brand new way. <laughs> yeah, that's part of what the deal is. That's what the, the thing is about. So I want to challenge you, next time you face the impossible, you just remember who to call. And if you can't remember who to call, you call me and I'll remind you <laughs> who to call. He knows what to do with the impossible. Jesus puts them in the boat. And again, it raises two questions. One, He's sending them into a storm, which I've already told you about. Why is He doing that? I've already mentioned it. Secondly, He goes and He prays on the mountain. Why is He praying? What's He praying about? Well, we don't really know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But we, we see that Jesus is often in prayer. Good, uh, a good model for us. But I think if we take our cue from Scripture, we'll say Romans 8, John 17, Luke 22. Um, he's very often praying for his, his own, right? I think he's praying for his guys. Um, uh, at least that's part of what I think he's praying about. He put them into the storm. And you know this, don't you? It doesn't matter how hard it is in your life. It doesn't matter how hard it is today. You know who's interceding for you, right? Tell me. Someone tell me. Jesus and who else? The Spirit of God. As we talked about, I think, Thursday evening, and I bring it up so frequently, you have two members of the Trinity interceding for you. Let me ask you, beloved, do you take, you know, do you take conscious comfort in that? Or do you wring your hands? And do you worry? And do you moan? And do you groan? Are the, are the unbelievers around you watching you and saying, well, what good is Christ if you're just going to wring your hands? That's what I do. I'm an unbeliever. I wring my hands when it gets hard. Beloved, we're not called to wring our hands. We're called to expectantly look at Christ. It's a beautiful thing. I think He's praying for His men. I know He is. Just like He prays for you and I. So, God wants them to learn something about Himself, something about the impossible, and something about the storm. So He sends His men into this situation. He prays for His men in this situation. And ultimately, we see it in the text, He comes to His men in the impossible and in the storm. Right? Hasn't this been your experience as a Christian? Doesn't He always come to you? Isn't He always faithful? How many times did we hear it in the, in the praise uh, yeah, earlier in the, in the service? 
God is a faithful God. He is a competent God. He knows what to do with the impossible. And I want to tell you, if you ever own these things for yourself, you know, that God has sent you into the storm, that God's praying for you in the storm, and that God is going to come to you in the storm, if you actually believe these things, your life will never be the same. You can't live small anymore if you believe that. You are free to live a huge life for the glory of God. A life they'll sing about in heaven. What does Daniel say, 1132? The people, who don't, the people who know their God, what? Shall be strong and they shall go to church. Well, they will go to church. But actually, Daniel's talking about something a little more interesting there. He says, they shall do exploits. That's a King James Version translation. They shall do exploits. God meets you in the storm. Amen? Um, it was Thursday, August 21st, 2008, and I was driving Karen to Humanitas for her first chemotherapy. It was a hard day for both of us, particularly for her. Um, I had strategically left a CD in the, in the CD player in the car because I wanted her to play a song. I wanted her to, to hear these words. She knew these words. She knew what these words meant. She lives these words, but I wanted to remind her. Uh, the song is uh, I Know Your Name by Michael W. Smith. Um, it opens with a believer confessing his need in a hard place. The chorus rises, and the chorus is God's answer to His child. And the chorus is this, I know your name. It gives me goosebumps. I know we know this. God says, I know your name. Every prayer you've prayed. I'm the one who brought you here. I brought you here. I brought you to chemo. So do we whine and moan, complain like the world, and worry ourselves to death like the world? Or do we look at a great sovereign God who wants to magnify Himself in my circumstance? Will I give glory to God in the chemo? Will I? Or will I behave like some unbeliever? That's a big question. I love this line. He says, God says, I'm the voice who sings to you. I'm the hand that clings to you. Don't you, don't you love it? He's pulling that sing, that he's, he's pulling that, that out, of, out of Psalm 32 7. I'll read it to you in a minute. God says, I know your name. Never fear, I am here. Don't you love it? I love this song. Karen already knew it, but I wanted her to, to hear it. You're not supposed to be surprised in the hard place, beloved. You're supposed to be ready to make much of Jesus. And yeah, it's impossible that God will not come to us in the impossible. He will. So Jesus sends His men into the storm. John tells us that the, the sea was stirred up because of a strong wind and it was blowing. Mark tells us that the, the men were straining at the oars for the wind was against them. Matthew tells us that the boat was battered by the waves for the wind 
was contrary. Verse 25, Jesus comes to them in the fourth watch, which is 3 to 6 a.m. This means the men have been struggling for hours in this very, really, it's not a sea, it's a lake. Um, it's, a pretty, it's not that big of a lake. But they've made almost no progress. No doubt they are exhausted and likely they feared for their lives. Mark 6.48 tells us that seeing them straining, Jesus came to them walking on the water. So, how does He see them? He's on a mountain. No, no doubt it's a moonless night. There's, it's a storm. How could He see Him from the mountain? How does He know? He's God! <laughs> He's God! And you don't think He sees you? And you think you're alone? And you think it's you and your heart thing? You don't think God's with you in it? You don't think He's going to make much of Himself through it? Beloved, we just have to think biblically. That's really all we have to do is think biblically. And, and again, I... <laughs> You're free. If you learn to think biblically, you're free. You're a warrior. You're Batman. You're Batman. Without the car. Without the cool car. Probably don't need a cape either, but we're Batman. He's God. He not only sees and knows and is cognizant of everything past, present, and future, He is in fact working all things in, in according to the counsel of His will. These men are not simply in the storm. They're in the storm by His design and He means to glorify Himself in it. And we're going to see it, aren't we? <laughs> we're going to see what happens when He comes to them in the storm. Jesus is I am God. Verse 26 tells us that they thought He was a ghost. They were afraid. Verse 27 uh, Jesus doesn't leave them hanging. He says, what does Jesus say to him? Someone tell me, what does Jesus say to the guys in the boat? What does He say? Pardon me? Take courage. This phrase is repeated eight times in the New Testament. It's always coming off the lips of Jesus. He's always telling His people, take courage. I'm God. I've got this. Take courage. Amen? Take Courage. Oh, it's impossible, Jim. Take courage. Jim, I'm in the midst of a storm. Take courage. Our God is God. He knows what to do with the storm. He knows what to do with the impossible. He's not some wannabe God like the rest of them. He is God. And when He's ready to turn the storm off, He says, be still. And what happens? He just turns the storm off when He's ready. We have so much freedom. We have so much power. My point to you is, I'm not standing up here, I'm, I'm under great conviction when I preach this kind of sermon. I am under great conviction. I am under great conviction. So I don't want you to think that I'm just up here talking to you. God is dropping the hammer on me. Okay? And that's one of the unfortunate uh, side effects of you coming to this church is that when I'm getting hammered, you're going to get hammered. I mean, it just comes out. When, when the Lord is hammering me, sometimes it's going to fall on you too. Okay? So, anyway. Enough of that. 
What was the source of David's courage? What was the source of David's courage? You know, I could go to countless Psalms. David says, The Lord is my shield. My shield is the Lord. He's my rock. He's my fortress. He's my deliverer in whom I take refuge. He's my hiding place. Psalm 32, 7. He surrounds me with songs of deliverance. Don't you love it? That was in that, that song, that, I, that Michael W. Smith song that I shared with you earlier. Songs of deliverance in the hard place. I love that. It's beautiful. David said, God is my refuge. He's my strength. He's my help. He's my shelter. He's my rock of habitation. Christian, take courage. Amen? Take courage. I don't know what it is in your life that you're afraid of, but you don't need to be. That's all I want to say to you. You don't need to be afraid. You don't need to be afraid. Your Creator and your Redeemer, your Lord and your Savior says, take courage. <laughs> I love it. Take courage, man. I, it makes me want to be Batman, right? Doesn't it? Doesn't it? Yeah. Verse 28, <laughs> Peter says, Lord, if that's you, command me to come to you. Why does he do this? Why does he do it? What do you think? Why do you think Peter does this? Men can't walk on water. Peter knows this. He's a fisherman. He, he's tried before. It doesn't work. He can't walk on the water. He knows it's impossible. It's impossible to walk on the water. Why does he want to walk on the water? Because Jesus is out there. That's why you should obey Christ. I don't care how impossible it looks. That's why you should obey Christ. With every fiber of your being and every last penny of your resource, you should obey Christ. Because Christ is out there. As I tell you all the time, He's always moving. He's always moving. He's always moving. You can't sit in the recliner and call yourself a Christian. You can't do it, beloved. You cannot do it. He's always moving. You have to stay on His heels or He will leave you behind. He's always moving. He's always moving. What I love about this with Peter... It's not, you know what it is? It's just that Peter wants Christ. That's really what it is. At the, very, at the very core of it, I think, he just wants Christ. I think that's the core for every true Christian. I just want more of Christ. Oh, then that means X, Y, Z. Okay, X, Y, Z is fine, as long as I get Christ. Right? As long as I get more of Jesus, I don't have a problem with it. In fact, I don't care what it is, as long as I get more of Jesus, I'm good with it. I'm down with it. Whatever it looks like. Whatever God calls us to do in obedience. <laughs> Peter says, Lord, bid me come. And you know what Jesus is going to say every time you pray that prayer, right? He's going to say, no, be more careful. You need to be careful. You need to be more prudent. Maybe you should be more concerned about uh, your welfare and your, your livelihood and, and your family. Maybe you should be more concerned about your career. Maybe you should be more concerned about that before you pray that prayer. That's never what Jesus says. <laughs> Jesus says, come on. Come see how awesome I am. And come see who you're supposed to be. This is what Jesus says. This is the invitation 
for every man, woman, boy, and girl on the planet. Come. Come. Of course, my, my, my translation, NAS, it's, a, it's got an exclamation point. I don't, know, I don't know if yours is an exclamation point in your translation. But Jesus says, come. It's how maturing Christians process this life on this planet. We are perpetually pushing the envelope of faith. Amen? We are always breaking new ground with God. We are always continually bumping up against the impossible. Hebrews 11.6, Without faith it is impossible to please me. Is what I was saying. He will always perpetually be bringing you to a new place. A new place of faith. The faith is a place that pleases God. And in, in applied faith, it not only pleases God, but you get more of God. It's like I tell you all the time, you get as much of God as you want. You say, Jim, I don't have a whole lot. Well, that's your fault. It's not His fault. He says, come, have all of me that you want. It's really what... That's the invitation in the Bible. No man will ever have an excuse before God. No man. Jesus says, you want me? Come. You can have all of me. It'll take you forever to have all of me, which means you never will, but it'll be the, the, the unending, joyous, happy adventure of your, of your eternity to come after me and know me more intimately. This infinite being... So, Peter wants to get out of the boat. He desires Christ. And so I'm just going to ask you as we close, do you desire Christ like that? Do you desire Him above everything else? It's really the New Testament message. Do you believe Jesus like that? Do you want to walk where your feet may fail? Where if God doesn't show up, it's a train wreck. <laughs> you know? If God doesn't show up with Peter, if God's not really God, and if Jesus is not really God, and He can't do what He says He can do, then Peter's going to drown, right? But Peter gets out of the boat. We know what happens. He begins to, his faith begins to falter, and he says, Lord, save me. And of course, Jesus stretches out His hand. This is verse 30 and 31. And He takes hold of Peter. And he says, why did you doubt? Why did you ever doubt? Do you not know who I am? <laughs> Do you not know who you are? You're mine? Do you not know how much I love you? Beloved, we've got so much license here. We've got so much liberty, so much freedom. Jesus said, why did you doubt? You know. Yeah, verse 32, 33, He turns the storm off. So what happened? Somebody tell me in verse 33 what's going on here. Worship. As I told the young adults Thursday night, God is not mainly to be analyzed and understood. God means to be worshipped. And do you know where you worship Him the highest and the best? It's out there in radical faith. It's not in this box where you think you have it all under control, which of course is an illusion. Every heartbeat is from God. That's an illusion that modern man lives with, that we're in control. But the encounter, the intimacy is out there. It's outside. 
the box. So, we'll close with a few verses from um, Oceans. God calls us out upon the waters, beloved. The great unknown where our feet may fail. And there we find Jesus in the mystery. In oceans deep, I love this, in oceans deep our faith will stand. God's grace abounds in the deepest water. Christ's sovereign hand will be our guide. Where feet may fail and fear surrounds us, Jesus has never failed and He won't start now. Jesus leads us where our trust is without borders. He lets us walk upon the waters wherever You would call us. Take us deeper than our feet could ever wander. And our faith will be made stronger in the presence of our Savior. We will call upon Your name. Keep our eyes above the waves. Our souls will rest in Your embrace. We are Yours. And You are ours. I love that song. Jesus says, come. Come and see how awesome I am. Come and see who you're supposed to be. Beloved, that's the message tonight. You say, Jim, you're pretty strong with us tonight. I know. The Lord's been slapping me around all week. So you get to at least vicariously participate in some of it. But I think there's a good message maybe if you have the ears to hear, I think for every one of us in here. So... I leave you with that. We're going to celebrate the table tonight.